You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we will discuss the problem of bacterial resistance and the crisis in new antibiotic development. In this segment, we will focus on the clinical problems patients face as a bit bacterial antibiotic resistance rises. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Henry Massour, President of the Infectious Diseases Society of America. He is also Chief of the Critical Care Medicine Department at the Clinical Center of the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Massour recently wrote an opinion piece for the Wall Street Journal calling attention to the dangers of growing bacterial antibiotic resistance and the problems with public policy. Welcome, Dr. Massour. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Can you share some of your experiences how patients have been affected by bacterial resistance and the failure of antibiotic treatment? Specifically, can you discuss what happened to your patient with aplastic anemia that you described in your opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal? Unfortunately, what we're seeing are two kinds of events. One is patients who acquire infections in the community uh, who get infections that are resistant to uh, commonly antibiotics. The other are patients who get highly uh, resistant organisms in the hospital. In the case of uh, a young man I saw recently, uh, this student had come to our hospital to uh, be treated for aplastic anemia. The therapy for his aplastic anemia was quite successful, but while he was undergoing that therapy, he developed an infection with a very resistant organism, Pseudomonas aeruginosa. The organism got into his bloodstream, it got into his uh, uh, central nervous system, and because that was resistant to the commonly used antibiotics, we tried some very potent drugs, it became resistant to that, and ultimately we had no other drugs to use. And the frustrating issue is that his underlying disease was cured, and yet he died of this highly resistant organism. And the real tragedy is that he died despite the fact that if we had a better drug development program in 2007, perhaps a new drug could have saved his life. But the problem in 2007 is that there are very few novel antibiotics in our pharmaceutical pipeline because it simply isn't very profitable for companies to make antibacterials. They can make much more money putting out other drugs that patients take for a lifetime uh, rather than taking uh, drugs that uh, uh, you take for a week or two weeks. So that somehow in the United States and worldwide, we have to develop a system where there's more of an incentive for companies to develop drugs so that patients like this young man don't drive uh, bacterial infections, which in theory we could treat if we had a larger armamentarium of antibiotics. What about your patient with a gallbladder infection after heart bypass surgery? What happened to her? That's another good example in which a middle-aged woman came into our hospital. She had relatively complex cardiac surgery, but really did very well with that. But following surgery, she developed cholecystitis, or inflammation of her gallbladder. That's not terribly unusual to happen with middle-aged or older-aged people after surgery, but her gallbladder got infected. It was infected with a very resistant enterococcus, something called VRE, or vancomycin-resistant enterococcus. That was sensitive only to three antibiotics, one 
had very little potency. The other two had toxicities, which this patient couldn't tolerate. So ultimately, she died of gallbladder infection. And again, the tragedy is that we didn't have a drug uh, that could treat this. There are molecules known that are active against this kind of uh, organism, and yet they haven't been developed into drugs because there simply isn't the incentive for industry to develop new drugs and bring them into market, uh, given the relatively small patient population that would benefit. Well, certainly these resistant bacteria can kill. Ultimately, they became resistant penicillin, but we had several generations of drugs that were very effective against staph. In the 1990s, however, we began to see more and more staph that were resistant to the drugs that we commonly used. Methicillin or oxacillin was the prototype of the drugs that we would use. But more recently, the drugs have become increasingly resistant to methicillin or oxacillin. And now in many communities, more than 50% of the staph that healthy individuals are colonized by are resistant to these potent, commonly used antibiotics. Uh, these can be lethal, causing soft tissue infections or bloodstream infections, but these more and more are acquired in the community uh, by skin-to-skin uh, -skin contact, the kind of thing that can happen either in a social situation, the kind of things that can happen in a locker room where people share towels, the kind of things that happen on an athletic field where there's a lot of person-to-person -person contact, these organisms can get spread, and when they do, they are very difficult to treat, and being difficult to treat means either they cause severe, long-lasting injury, the kind that Brandon Noble had, or they cause death. In the case of Brandon Noble, this infection got into his knee. It caused severe destruction, irreversible damage to his knee, and that really ended his career. So the tragedy for Brandon Noble was that his career was ended he was lucky, however, in that his life was saved. Uh, but again, it brings up the issue that for a very common infection in 2007, we desperately need more drugs that can treat this methicillin-resistant staph. It's something that can affect all of us, healthy people or those who are chronically hospitalized. And it's a particular problem now as we worry about more and more influenza. We're seeing staph as a complication causing staphylococcal pneumonia in patients who are recovering from influenza. It can be a devastating pneumonia. We have seen children, teenagers, healthy adults die within several days when they develop staphylococcal pneumonia on top of influenza. If we have an influenza pandemic, this is what we can see coming down the road, more staphylococcal pneumonia. We desperately need more drugs in order to treat this because while we have a few drugs right now, they are relatively toxic, and we know that resistance will continue to develop, and yet we have virtually no drugs with a new mechanism of action that can treat these highly resistant organisms in the next generation when our current drugs wear out, and we need to get started now developing those drugs. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Henry Masur, president of the Infectious Diseases Society of America. We're discussing clinical problems patients face as bacterial antibiotic resistance arises. As a clinician, how often do you encounter patients affected by resistant bacteria? I think physicians in the community 
can expect to see resistant bacteria several times a year. The more a referral practice a physician has, the more likely he or she is to see resistant bacteria. But for hospitalists, for infectious disease specialists, for oncologists, it is more and more common to see these. And I uh, would suspect that in most hospitals in the United States, if you see a Staphylococcus aureus infection, more than 50% of those will be MRSA or methicillin resistant. If you see E. coli, if you see Klebsiella, if you see Pseudomonas, if you see Acinetobacter, depending on where you're practicing, anywhere from 5 to 50% of those can be highly resistant, meaning that you may have one or two drugs to use to treat those, or you may have nothing that is proven to be effective. If you have MRSA in a, in a patient, what are the few drugs that are available to treat MRSA? At this point, there are really three drugs you can use to treat MRSA. The drug that we've used for many, many years, which has been amazingly stable in terms of the activity, is vancomycin. And vancomycin is good for most forms of MRSA infection. The problem that we're seeing with vancomycin is what we call MIC creep. If you look at the resistance patterns in labs, while many of the organisms, most staff, are still sensitive to vancomycin, the susceptibility level is rising a little bit each year. So at some point, we're going to see a larger and larger percentage that are resistant to vancomycin. Other than vancomycin, we really have two or maybe three other alternatives. One is linazolid. Linazolid is a very effective drug that has some bone marrow toxicity, but it's also a drug which is uh, highly potent and useful for most forms of MRSA. The problem with uh, linazolid is also we're beginning to see resistance. A third drug is daptomycin. Daptomycin is good against most forms of uh, MRSA, but one thing that one has to be very cautious about is because it binds to surfactant, it is not useful for staph pneumonia. So for staph bacteremia, for skin and soft tissue infections, daptomycin is very effective. So we have vancomycin, linazolid, daptomycin, and then a fourth drug that is occasionally used, Synersid, which has some activity, which has some drug interactions, that has some toxicities in terms of myalgias. It can be used, but really we have a limited armamentarium. All the drugs are relatively toxic, so that we really need more options, especially when we look down the road and we know that resistance is occurring with these drugs. We know that resistance will become more common, and yet there are no novel molecules under development that are likely to hit the market in the next few years. What are the so-called flesh-eating bacteria that get so much press? Are these uh, just common bacteria in bad places, or are these uh, some of the antibiotic-resistant bacteria? Fortunately, what most people call flesh-eating uh, bacteria, na- namely the group A beta-hemolytic streptococci, uh, the organisms often cause pharyngitis, they remain relatively sensitive to most of the drugs we use. There are some issues in resistance. For the drugs that we generally use, the beta-lactam drugs, uh, the quinolones, vancomycin, this drug remains relatively sensitive. So for group A beta-hemolytic strep, we have lots of drugs. So it's interesting that this organism has not developed resistance the way others have, but one of the lessons we've learned is not to be too confident in our predictions. This uh, organism remains sensitive. 
Whether that will be the case in the next 10 years, the next 20 years, is uncertain. Again, even though we're doing well with group A strep in terms of antibiotics, we have to look at the future and be prepared for that time when resistance begins to occur in this organism as well as the other ones that you mentioned. I want to thank Dr. Henry Masur, the president of the Infectious Diseases Society of America, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the problem of bacterial resistance and a crisis in antibiotic development. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.